Hey, everybody, we're talking to Dr. Alia Sandovar today. What an amazing woman. She's an engagement and gamification consultant, has some incredible stories about how we can make work more fun and increase our motivation at the same time. She's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Dallas Burnett, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair in Thrive Studios. But more importantly today, we have a great guest. Ladies and gentlemen, she has a PhD in game production, a master's in psychology, and a master's in human organizational systems, and a bachelor's degree in public relations communications. Oh my gosh, she is probably the smartest person to ever grace the last 10%. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sundavar. Hi, so glad to be here, Dallas. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> what a great introduction. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Well, we're just so thrilled to have you on the show. I've heard you on some other podcasts and just seeing your work in terms of gamification. And we'll get into all of that. But I just I'm very pleased because it's such a big part. And I think as leaders and organizations that we sometimes, and even in our own lives, we sometimes miss, number one, the influence of games and that games have on us. And number two, how we can utilize gamification in our life and our work to increase our motivation, increase our engagement, and increase our team's motivation and engagement. I just, I've been excited to have this conversation today. So tell us, you've gone through, you were a consultant and you've gotten multiple degrees. Tell us your path how does one go from consultant to PhD in game production? I, I think you have to be constantly searching for something that makes you happy. I don't know. <laughs> I think when I graduated from college, I actually went to Florida State. And when I graduated from there, I started working and consulting because that was what was cool and also was very stable. But I was very unhappy with the work as a consultant. Mm-hmm. I found it... And some people really love it, but at that time, I found it really repetitive. I found it very political and very constraining. And I felt like I was searching for something that sort of had meaning or would just inspire me in some way. And then actually during that time, I got sick. And because I got ill, I had to reevaluate my life, I had to reevaluate what I wanted to do with my life, really think about what mattered, what didn't matter. And so I quit consulting. And once I was better and got my surgeries and felt a lot better, then I applied to to be a psychologist to and, and moved to California. And this is where I told you that 
I moved to California and on the way I drove, like I, I did the typical, you pack everything you own in your red beetle and then you drive across the state <laughs> to the other side <laughs> to begin your new life and a new chapter. So I did that. And, and then this is where when I arrived or just about to arrive, uh, the place that I had uh, fell through. So I didn't have a place to live. And then, and then the work that I had um, fell through too. So I didn't have a place to live and I didn't have work. All I had was school. So I knew I had been accepted oh. to a school. And then, yeah, so through some network and, and friends, someone told me about a couple that was moving, leaving, and they, they let me stay in their room where they only had a mattress. So that's where I stayed in that room for just oh. with a, just a mattress for one month. <laughs> well, oh. a place to live and work. But within a couple of weeks, actually, two or three weeks of arriving to Santa Barbara, I, the principal of my university found me a job. And then the people that I was staying with, the mattress people, they had some friends that had a house in the Riviera in Santa Barbara. So I oh. ended up moving from there oh, to a house wow. in the Riviera. That's a nice upgrade. That worked <laughs> was, out really well for yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. So then, of course, I studied psychology and I love learning about psychology. And since I'm bilingual, I had the opportunity to work for nonprofits in Santa Barbara and to also help immigrants with psychological services. But I have to say that I found psychology very draining or being a therapist very draining. It was very mm. hard work. And I found that people needed a lot of support and a lot of resources to be able to get ahead. It, I think it requires a whole system for most people to get ahead. And so I was really disillusioned with the limitations of psychology. But part of it came out of a couple of things. One was that the best times I had with my clients were when we used to play. I used to focus on mothers or parents with young children. And so when we played, so we, when we were, I did a lot of home visits and we would pull out games and play, or when we would play in the backyard, or when we cooked, a lot of them would have me over and I would do therapy as they were cooking. And, um, oh, wow. Yeah, I just, I've heard of, I've heard yeah. of play therapy before, yeah. but I've never he heard of dinner or cooking <laughs> therapy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. I think play therapy in itself is very intentional. Right there, there, you bring out certain toys and you bring out, uh, and then you observe for certain things. You observe how, for how children or families play or the dynamics. And then that gives you information about what's happening in the internal psychological world of the child or in the family system. But some of these discussions that I will have are really informal. It's just a way for people to open up while we were. Yeah, cooking. I remember one one client that I had. She was just making tortillas while we were talking, and and she was making tortillas and pozole, and it was really just cool. And to me, those were the best times. And eventually, I just I had one very challenging situation with a client that unfortunately tried to commit suicide while she was in therapy with me. And so that was like, for me, the edge, the end of wanting to be a therapist. I said, sure. I just think 
there are people like I saw, I worked with a lot of psychotherapists and they just seem to always be able to handle all these difficult situations or to be able to handle or contain the fact that people maybe don't change so fast, right? They have a lot of patience and they could, yeah, hang on to clients for years and years, giving them room to change. And I don't know if it was because I was younger or just my personality that I'm much more goal-oriented and change-oriented, but all these factors disillusioned me to the idea of being a psychotherapist. So Yeah, it sounds like you were very empathetic as well, that you just had a lot of empathy for your clients, and that makes it very challenging because you're, I'm sure it was just difficult to walk through that while you're engaging with counseling in, in the psychological, in, in the sessions, yes. therapy sessions, to have somebody go through a, a suicidal event is a is just traumatic anyway. But if you empathize with that person, it's just, oh, this is tough. Plus, like you said, it takes so much time mm-hmm. sometimes for people. You never know where they are in the process. Yeah. You don't know if you're getting them right <laughs> before this massive life change explosion or if you're getting them on like the ground floor day one and it's going to be a slog from here to a better life. So I can totally see how that would be challenging. So you've, you through that process, really ex- like, you discovered mm-hmm. that you had the best times when you mm-hmm. were in play there over dinner or in preparation of dinner. So <laughs> yeah. how did that transition? Well, it wasn't very clear at first, to be honest. I There's a period where I was just, I knew that I didn't want to be a psychotherapist anymore, but I didn't know what else to do, right? And just as when I was a management consultant, I wanted to do something with more meaning, but I didn't know where to go. And so... I think things present themselves that sort of give you a doorway to an idea that you hadn't thought of before. And I think this is what happened at the time that I was searching. It meant that I probably needed to switch universities because I actually had already started a PhD in psychology. I was in my first year after my master's and thinking, I don't think I don't think I can continue because I don't want to be a psychologist or a psychotherapist. And just praying and asking, what can I do? Where should I go next? And I'm not sure how this presented itself to me. I don't remember what I was searching for. Maybe I was going to lots of meetup meetings at the time, or but I saw a startup weekend where they were doing video games. They were just designing video games. And I think something about the play, something about seeing change through play stuck with me from being a psychotherapist. And then, I don't know, that seed just got planted. Oh, video games. Right. People play them. When I was a kid, I used to play them. Like, why can't you work with them? Why can't you work doing that? But I thought, well, I have no... I had consulting background, now a psychology background, like how am I going to get into this field? And and I thought, okay, well, yeah, I'll just try it. And so I switched programs and found an advisor that was willing to support me in studying video games and video game production. And I started from zero. I just started learning everything I could about video game design. I knew that I didn't want to program, but I wanted to be part of the psychological part, the engagement of users. What, what does it take to design a, an experience? 
So that's what I, that's what I did. And I spent my PhD and my, and part of that PhD also included a master's, which is where I got my master's in organizational systems. But I focused it also on systems of design. And then after that, then I focused on video game production. Yeah. So it was just, it was just wow. like this. <laughs> yeah. I love your openness. I think that so many people try to put a box around success and what success looks like. And I love how you were like, all right, success for me right now looks like I graduate from FSU. I go get a job because that's what we do. Yeah. And there, that's the opportunity in yeah. front of me. And you do it with vigor and passion. And then you say, nope, this is not for me. <laughs> and so then you go into psychology, which is much different than the business consulting, yeah. very different in some ways, in some ways it's the same in terms of motivation, yeah. but then you literally are passing by this event that's on gamification. You're like, Hey, I think that's, I think that's my jam. I think that's what we're going to do. I just, yeah. I love how you're just so open to, it's not necessarily, it's a very, it's a very winding path that you're just open to following versus this, it has to be this way. And I think that's really cool how you got into that. And I also love how you summed up the culmination of your work. You'd worked in business. You'd then gone and worked with, with patients and therapy and used your psych psychology degree. And then you're approaching this gamification and you're like, oh yeah, video games. I would love to be part of that. And I just love the question that you asked, what does it take to design an experience? I <laughs> love that question. If you're listening to the last 10% right now, that is a, that is so much, that's such a large question. That's such a big question. She just asked a huge question because you can apply that to your life. You can apply that to your work. How intentional are you about asking that question? What does it take to design an experience in life that I want to want to have or a life that I want to have? Or what does it take to design an experience that people would want to come to work every day and be in? Those are huge questions. So I love that. So let's talk a little bit about gamification now. I can, I've, I love that concept. It's been around for a while and I've, it, it just, I've read a lot about it, different books and things mm -hmm. on it. And I've experienced it myself in organizations. Tell us, because some people hear that word and they're like, is that, I actually had some person say, is that a made up word? <laughs> no, it's a real thing. Tell the listeners, what, what do you, how would you explain or define gamification? Yeah. So I would say gamification is the science and art of applying game principles to business. It's tailored to the specific business, to their customers, and to a particular product that business may be uh, creating or developing or designing or offering. And it, from my perspective, it requires an organized scientific process to be fully effective. Mm. So you say that, in, from your perspective, when you say an organized scientific process, that sounds, that sounds intense. <laughs> what, how would you expound on that a little bit for us on that? What's your, in your opinion, tell us why you have that opinion. Yeah, because like games or any design or any product, right, is trial and testing, right? And you have to mm. keep track of what you tried before it didn't work and what you tried that worked and trying to figure out like, why did it work and why did it not work? It's, it goes a little bit into, I think, like the midst of gamification. I think some people might think that gamification is like, oh, let's, let's come up with some things and then 
throw it in there and see what sticks. Mm, yes. Well, random. Random. Yeah. And actually it's much more thought out than, yeah, sure. Do some people get lucky? Just like if someone gets lucky because they gambled or something. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes so it's, it works. Sometimes it works just out of uh, pure sheer luck elements were there but to really make it work you have to have a lot of elements in play and you have to really think through it yeah mm. what are some of the big elements that you would say are foundational to game games in gaming or certain foundational principles of gamification that you've seen in your career oh yeah and then i think afterwards we can also talk about what's not foundational or what people consider uh, myths but yeah. essentially is this like before to really create a good gamification process you you need to first figure out your goals what are you trying to achieve with gamification mm. that's the first thing where if you don't have something that you can measure your engagement with right then you don't know what your starting point is and what your ending point is, right? So if you, right. for example, if you notice that there may be, as an employer, you lose your employees within the first month, right? That is the key, that's the key point or a key goal that you could have to try to change, right? Or if it has to do with the number of visitors that you want on your website, or it could also be how much um, profit you want for the year. And it could all, and these goals could be uh, company wide or it could be department led or team led, right? So it just depends, but having a goal and using that goal is how you will design your gamification or a goal to help you design your gamification strategy is important i think i love that so yeah. you're starting with you're starting with the end in mind you're saying yeah. this is the number that i want to and if you know that that metric or mm -hmm. that indicator or mm -hmm. the objective then you have a starting place that's foundational that you can design around so you almost use that as the as a key foundation i like that yep and the second part is who are you trying to motivate right truly understanding who is it is it your customers is it your employees and then then you have to understand who your employees are right what motivates a business consultant is going to be very different than perhaps someone who is working in manufacturing like textile manufacturing or something like this right they're right. and so you have to keep in mind who they are what's important to them to be able to design something that would motivate them and yeah and then for people who have products like where they want to design a gamification strategy for the product itself right so this would be you would need to understand your users who they are um, and what motivates them and then that also then affects what goes into the design of the product with um, companies, we're talking about designing processes or designing um, strategies that support the employees. 
um, in the company overall. And of course, when we have products or digital products, then we're talking about the product and how we can motivate users to use them. Ah, that's awesome. Very good. Well, you mentioned earlier too about the myths of gamification. What are some of the myths that I may have run across or just have some cognitive bias on around the idea of gamification? Yeah. Okay. The very first one, which any gamification expert will tell you, which drives us crazy, is that <laughs> people think that if just if you put badges, leaderboards, and points on something, you have a gamified experience. That is not oh, true. <laughs> that is not true. That's that is true. That, you know what? I agree with that. I've experienced that yes. myself. Actually, I think I'm guilty of that. So yeah, yeah. okay, all right. Yeah. So just because you put a badge or uh, some points on it doesn't necessarily make it a game. No, it doesn't. Those are what we would call oh. game mechanics. So they are used to motivate, but you have to know who you're motivating and why. Right? What is your goal? So. Mm. If you have a team of people who are mostly motivated by social capital or, or social influence, having badges, leaders, and points is not going to help them. Mm. So you're, right. you, you have to understand where your folks, where are you designing for? You, yeah. It reminds me of habit formation when you talk about like atomic habits or something where mm. they talk about having the trigger, the behavior, and the reward. Yeah. You're saying, hey, the reward has to be an actual reward, yeah. not a an aspirational reward. Like we, we think that this will work for everybody. Okay. We'll just put badges out there and they're going to want it. Well, maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. And so it, it's, a, it's almost like a pseudo reward. It's not a real reward to some people. So you have to make sure that whatever you're putting out there as a reward actually resonates with the people that are playing the game exactly. or engaging with that. Exactly. So, engaging with the process or engaging with whatever you're trying to motivate them to do. That's where really understanding who you're trying to motivate and what they're motivated by is really important. I think yeah. an, another, another myth is that people think it can just be like a copy and paste things. Oh, okay. But it worked for this team in this way by mm. by doing this. So let's just replicate that and make sure, and then it'll it will make it for all teams in the company. <laughs> right. But yeah, just make it easy. Just plug and chug. Yeah. We're just gonna go fast. We'll just do it. This mm. worked over here and over there. Okay, but that's yeah. not the case. That's not the case because I think the myth is that gamification is the same for every business, every product, and every group of people but it's specific mm. to your business, to a product, and to the audience. If I think about how I'd want to motivate pro programmers in my company, that's going to be very different than how I'm going to try to motivate designers in my company. It's that there might be some overlap because of the company culture or the type of personalities the company has hired, there might be some overlap, but it's not exactly the same. Wow. That's interesting. I really like that. And I think that's so true. And I think it's, I think that's the easy way. And then so many yeah. times business is hard. And I think business leaders are like, give me a break. I just need something easy. And then when we're successful at one thing, let's say we rolled the dice and got lucky yeah. when we did our game over here, we were just like, oh, we found something great. Let's just, let's just copy and paste it over here. Cause that's easy. And I think that your challenge is that is actually a myth that it doesn't work like that. So that's interesting. Any other myths uh, around gamification? Oh, yeah. I think 
And I've seen this happen with, especially with digital experiences. They will add game elements or gamification, but then the core is really terrible. And this can happen in mm. companies too, right? You can create all the coolest processes and engagement triggers and things like that. But if you're not treating your employees right, if their pay is not, if, is, is not what they're worth in the marketplace, or if you're overworking them, or if you're just not treating them yeah. right, no amount of gamification is going to cover that. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams, We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. So it, I love that. it assumes, it assumes that you, that the core is already good and strong and it's just meant to boost it, to amplify it, to increase the engagement, just also with an app, right? If the app is good at the core, then doing gamification can be really helpful to, to increase engagement and to get people to connect at different points. But if there's if the app is not good quality, then it's not. I, this reminds me, I use this example a lot because I just remember downloading this app that was supposed to be this brain balancing sound thing. I don't remember. And it had, and it was, and it also had some like nature music and nature sounds. And I was curious about it. So, I downloaded it and it had all kinds of gamification things. Oh, you're on a mission. Now you got three points for listening to this. Da, 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 da. But the sound was awful. There, <laughs> there was no, uh, I thought to myself, they got to be kidding. I'm not a sound expert. Oh. There are people, my fiance is really attuned to, to sound and music you can tell when things are off pitch and things like this i don't have that gift but i can tell you this sound was not soothing me so no amount of gamification (laughs) was gonna help right no that makes sense i mean i think that's so true i think it's true with a product when you're trying to get customer adoption or purchasing or an employee engagement yeah it's true like the Mm. core has to be right so I want to tell you, I want to tell you my experience because mm-hmm. I want to get you to unpack it from a psychological mm-hmm. level. And I would just like your opinion about your insights into this case studies. Think Move Thrive has a coaching system mm-hmm. that we deliver called the one-on-one coaching system through an app. Mm-hmm. And originally 
we were going to roll it out in the organization because our goal was to drive coaching down through the organization mm -hmm. so that leaders at every level could coach their team members mm -hmm. that, that were working with them. We wanted to give a little test before we rolled it out company-wide. So we asked for volunteers and these were offices in multiple states. We said to all these ops managers, we said, hey, who wants to try this out? So we had about four offices that wanted to try this out. So we said, try this for two or three times. It was two or three months. And they were excited about it. So when we came back and looked at the numbers on who actually did it, I think we had a 24% adoption rate. And I was horrified because I was like, this is not something that we can do in the whole organization. <laughs> in multiple offices on multiple sites, if only 24% of the people that actually said they wanted to try it, <laughs> did it that, mon that many times. So what I, I started immediately thinking, how can we change this? And I think it's gamification. We're going to try to create a game around this. So mm -hmm. we went to the mm -hmm. operations managers. We had them at a leadership summit. We said, listen, we're going to break you into teams. But then we said, we're going to do this for a year. And we're going to keep score, but we're going to, we're going to post it every month. Mm -hmm. We bought this big gaudy trophy <laughs> that looked like this plastic version of Stanley cup. And so they, you can have this at your office. You can have bragging rights with all the other offices. But we said also at the end of the year, you're going to get a, a weekend trip anywhere you want with your spouse. And so it was a pretty good size prize. Then we said, we're going to post the results every month mm -hmm. on the standings, mm -hmm. but we're not just going to put the points out. We're literally going to say this team, here's their points, here's where they stand. But then underneath it, we're going to put your name and how, and how many you did. So mm -hmm. like, it's going to be easy for you to see if this team's getting behind, we're going to know exactly cool, cool, who is cool. the one that's causing yeah. that getting behind. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty radical transparency. Yeah. That email was sent out to all the people that were playing the mm -hmm. game and the company owners and HR. Mm -hmm. So everybody saw that. Mm -hmm. We never had HR send an email out saying, guys, I haven't got your one-on-ones this month. Never. We launched it and we had a hundred percent participation for nine or 10 months until one guy missed the deadline mm -hmm. on two one-on-ones, but then he later did them. He just yeah. missed the deadline. So mm -hmm. over 99.9% .9 participation and we changed nothing about it. And we went from a 24% uptake to 99% uptake in terms of their participation. It was unbelievable. We had guys saying, man, we're calling because now they're killing each other. They're calling each other. The managers are calling each other every month. Hey, have you done your one-on-one -on -one this month? You better get on it. You better get that in. So there, it was a self-accountability, yeah, but yeah. then they got in the habit of talking to each other with people that they didn't normally talk yeah. to. So then we got word that they were calling each other before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Hey man, I know, I know we usually are checking in on each other for the one-on-ones, but I just want to, Hey, just want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving oh, and, and, and because they're creating these relationships. Mm -hmm. So when you see that, why? Because I, I've always, I've wondered what aspects of that made that work so well as opposed to the first time. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Can you tell me when you had the leadership meeting and you broke up people in teams, was it all leadership teams? Like they're all managers in different Yes. Yeah. So all managers. They were, they were all equal. So it was all operation leaders from each office. So they were each the leader of their own office. Mm -hmm. So they were all on the same level. Oh, yeah. And then you took them and put them in individual groups. 
right? We split them up and we'd say, mm-hmm. let's say there was 10 or 12 yeah. of them. We would split them into groups of three mm-hmm. and we would say, okay, this guy in South Carolina, we're going to pair you with a guy in Virginia yeah. and a guy in North Carolina, yes. right? So mm-hmm. that he wouldn't be paired with another guy in South Carolina necessarily. Yeah. And, and then, we gave them a lot of training as well at yeah. that summit. Like this is the background the companies move in this direction. This is why. Mm-hmm. So that was all done on the backside. Yeah. yeah. So from a psychological perspective, really what began working was right there in those meetings, having the training, mm-hmm. given the background explaining why it's important and then creating this rapport, this connection already established that sort of set the fire. And then the leaderboards that you were using were, it was just something that just kept, kept the momentum going. But you set the right conditions to get people started. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So in gamification, well, at least the system I use, I actually, even though I studied game design, you have to learn from somewhere else, someone else how to apply those into business. And so I learned from a gentleman who's a gamification teacher, expert, his name is Yukai Chow. And so he really talks about that when you're creating a gamification experience or when you want to motivate people, you have to split it into four parts to be able to, and you have to have motivation in each of those parts. So the first part is like what he calls us, like the discovery. When people are first being presented with the idea, very close to that is the onboarding. So, so they're presented the idea, they really like it or presented a new challenge or even presented a new app and then they like it and they're like, okay, I'll move on to the next step. Now I want to try it. Right. So that's the onboarding. And so I think what you did really well was the onboarding mm-hmm. with the teams, you onboarded them really. So they were well equipped to, to continue with the process, right? They probably practiced, they learned about the why they got comfortable with it. They didn't have to do it on their own. They also had yes. connections, so they had someone else in their team who they can connect with and they wouldn't be by themselves. And then you use the game mechanics, the levers of like the points and then having this big reward and leaderboards, big reward at the end to do the part which is scaffolding. So that's the, the part of the journey where it's just, you're just repeating the same process over and over, right? Um, because they just right. basically had to do the same process every month, but they had to meet with X number of people, right? And then that it's yes. a repeat action, but they're, then you use rewards in repeat actions to keep people motivated for things that are not. I'm sure they got a lot of value from those meetings, but it's like an extra incentive. Yes. And, and then the last part that yeah. Yuka Chow talks about is the end game. So once you have people go through this process once what you want at the very end is for them to become like brand ambassadors or ambassadors so these leaders could that now be in a position to to be the ones that the coaching to others so it could be trickling down for example they could then be instead of you guys doing the training they could now be the empowered to do the training themselves and to teach others how to do it and 
even create their own leaderboards or repeat the process with others down the line. You're so spot on with that because essentially what we were yeah. trying to do was gain the leaders to, yeah. to get them to do it first. And yeah. that was the goal is to, mm -hmm. to, to try to get them to go back to your location. Mm -hmm. And now you've got project managers and other staff mm -hmm. that you can push this down and you can do it however mm -hmm. you want to do it. Mm -hmm. but this is, we want to, you want to trickle down. I think that is so fascinating. I love the word that you used scaffolding mm -hmm. when you said it, that was the process that we were engaging because it, it, to me, and you can tell me if this is mm -hmm. what you meant, but to me, when you said you're doing the same thing over and over again, in my mind, I have a picture of this like tall building and you're putting scaffolding up the side of the wall. And it's this, if you think about scaffolding, it is the same mm -hmm. and yet you're stacking yeah. it on top of mm -hmm. what was there before. Mm -hmm. So you're doing the same activity, but you're actually building something at that time. I love that mental picture. Is that kind of, when you yes. say that, is that kind of the, the idea? Of yes, that? the idea. Oh. Yeah. And usually the scaffolding also implies that, or it can imply that at the beginning, some of the activities or tasks that people do tend to be simpler. And then with time, they can get more complex and more frequent. I mean, in in games, usually in video games, when you start a level, they start teaching you how to use the controls, how to how to move in the space, um, how to do different things. Uh, you get oriented, and then you might have challenges along the way in the games, but they they grow in time, right? You don't usually get the hardest level at the beginning. They're helping you grow in your skill set. The joker. Sometimes there is, if you have, I'm a believer in that I'm a Christian, so the joke I always tell people is it's like asking someone who's like a new believer to start reading the Bible and start them in Leviticus, something like this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a difficult, difficult read there. Yeah. Right. Yes, yes. Yeah. A lot of confusing things that if you've never been exposed to that before. So, no, that's true. Very yeah, true. So you start Very people true. slow, and that's what scaffolding is. You start like, you, you train people well, you start them slow, and then over time it can grow in complexity. So I think the takeaway here for if you're leading a team or an organization to do a good job presenting the why and setting mm -hmm. a great foundation mm -hmm. to whatever I'm doing in terms of motivating and designing my team. And that includes the core, mm -hmm. right? As we talked about earlier, is that whatever we're, whatever I'm trying to do has to be good at the core. It's got to mm -hmm. be a good product or a solid company. <laughs> then I'm, I'm moving them into that onboarding and uh, in both of those, I have to have some type of motivation in that to move through that to the next thing. We enter this scaffolding phase where we're building, but it's repetition. Mm -hmm. And we definitely want to have incentives and motivation mm -hmm. to go and flow through this because there can be more challenge and more difficulty as you move through this because there's more nuance. And then you want to have this kind of culmination at the end and finish well, finish strong. And it's not just the party. It's yes, we're going to celebrate it when we've completed this construction of our thing, but we want to figure out how we can help it trickle down. And I think that's what great organizations do. So man, this has just been awesome. What a fascinating concept. And you can obviously tell you're just 
very good at it. What's been one of your favorite projects to work on in, in game design or game production? What's been something that just has been really fun for you? Oh, gosh. <clears throat> well, I think my two favorite projects had social impact. So I was part of the team that worked for a game project for War Child. And they create educational games for refugee children in different parts of the world. Wow. And the ones that I worked on were for, for Jordan, for Uganda, for Sudan. Uh, and so that was very rewarding. I also mm. had the privilege to work for a game project for in the Netherlands for children who have juvenile uh, arthritis. And oh, wow. Where I created a game that when they played it with their friends, it helped their friends experience what it's like to grow up with juvenile arthritis. Oh, wow. So some of these, yeah, I think these are two of my favorite. I've helped lots of people with different cool things with gamifying websites or, or trainings, like online courses and things like this. And also apps, mobile apps. But I think the ones where I feel like I'm having an impact with children and families have been the most that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for using your superhuman powers of gamification for the good of humanity. And I think that's just such a neat way um, to express that gift and to use it for things that help people in need. And so well done. Well done with that. That's very cool. Now, we always ask our guests on the last 10% if there is someone that you would like to hear on the show. So if you had a chance to listen to the last 10% and hear anybody on our show do you have a recommendation of a guest that you would like to see on the last 10%? Yes. I would like to see my friend and my pastor, Gabi Faria. She is a ah. pastor actually in Lisbon. I'm really impressed by who she is because she not only is a pastor of a church, but in addition to that, she runs the Lisbon Project, which is a nonprofit that helps refugees and immigrants in Lisbon. And wow. she just started in collaboration a business, a restaurant business to help fund the Lisbon project. So she is really an impressive woman to to know. Wonderful. Oh, that's such a cool story. Okay. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to reach out and see if we can get her on the last 10%. That's Lisbon, Portugal, right? Is that so you're such a global traveler. You're in the Netherlands, the U.S., you're in the Portugal people all over the globe. This is fantastic. Well, it's just been a pleasure to have you on the show today. If people wanted to reach out to you, mm -hmm. we'll put the links in the show notes along with some of your work that you've given us, thankfully, with some articles that you've written. But what? how can people get in touch with you if they want to uh, talk to you more about gamification and maybe work with you and your services? Sure. I have a website, which is aliasandovar.com. Um, and you can also email me at aliasandovar.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, but I will say, if you find me on LinkedIn, let me know that you found me through this podcast because I don't 
accept I don't accept requests from people I don't know. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So if you're a friend of the last 10%, then you can reach out to her on LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Dr. Sandovar. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And I just think the listeners got a, a really cool perspective on a topic today that we don't talk about a lot, but is really important. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks so much, Jess. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.